Hi, I'm Ali Maldro, the host of A Public Affair on Tuesdays. You can listen to this show any day of the week, any hour of the day on the WORT smartphone app or on wortfm.org. If you love what you hear, click that donate button and support community media. Your donation makes a huge difference. Six foot six above sea level. I grab the mic because I like to take you to another mental level. Low power frequency radio modulation. The big sound from underground. We bring the truth to places truth is never heard before. We bring the sound communication of our tribal war. Dark vision fly by helicopters in the night. Attempt triangulation of our station in the fight. Straight from the base deep down low precision. Good afternoon, Madison. You're listening to WORT 89.9 FM. I'm your host, Ali Muldrow, and today we are so grateful to be joined by Liz Winstead. And I'm sorry, I didn't expect that musical accompaniment, um, but it's a it's a vibe up at up in this studio today. So uh, huge, huge shout out to the folks who are making today's show possible. Our producer, Rochelle, who is the reason we've gotten to talk to Liz a couple times. Um, thank you for everything you do. Rory, who is is our engineer today. Shout out to Rory. And news director, Sholly Pittman, um, could not do this show. I also think it's important to mention that a lot of the folks who are putting today's show together... Um, you know, are, are folks, you know, who, who identify as women or, fe- or femme folk, you know. And so we're, we're having a conversation about abortion with Liz. Um, if you don't know who she is, she is a comedian, co-creator of The Daily Show and founder of Abortion Access Front. She hosts a new talk show called Feminist Buzzkill. Liz, how are you doing today? You know, I'm doing like it's it's I don't even know how to answer that question anymore. So I guess I am alive and I'm healthy and I am ready to fight another day. Hello. Hi. Okay. I'm like, we've got a little um, a little musical thing happening right now. And I have been I've been a little surprised by it, but. Um, you know, I guess we are we are also being encouraged not just to talk about abortion, but to sing or rap about it as well. So if you're in the mood for that sort of thing, Liz. Um. I mean, I feel like anytime we're saying abortion, we're putting it out there in the world, we're not talking in euphemisms. We are doing a great service to people who provide abortion, people who have abortions, and also doing a great service to destigmatize abortion and and resetting it on our terms, back to its proper place of the medical decision somebody might make during their reproductive lifetime. It's pretty straightforward. So one of the things that's happened since Roe v. Wade was overturned, and when we had you on the show a few months ago, you said, bring me back when when Roe v. Wade is overturned. It will be overturned. Um, But people are finally kind of realizing that Abortion is not just about terminating unwanted pregnancies, that uh, the the same tools and medications we use for abortion, um, we use to treat miscarriage. We use to, mm-hmm. to support women who are having really medically complex pregnancies that are not um, that that are that are not tenable. Um, what what are some of the stories that you've heard over the last few weeks since abortion has become illegal in so many states it's a felony here in wisconsin um that stand out to you well i mean i think the thing that people forget is abortion a miscarriage is called a spontaneous abortion that is the medical term it's a medical term so you know um and the and the medications that we use for abortion um in 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 medication abortion you know help you if you have a miscarriage um to make sure that um, the contents of your uterus um, are properly emptied out so you don't get sepsis, so you don't get sick, you know? So let's be clear. But I think, you know, even those of us who have been following what has happened, the trend that I just did not see and that did not occur in a pre-row time was the hunting down aspect. And also the, um, we have been hearing stories of people who receive mental health treatments in states where they banned abortion, not be able to get medication for bipolar disorder or anxiety or um, a myriad of other anti antidepressants. If those antidepressants um, 
have any kind of side effect of of miscarriage because the doctors are afraid of being prosecuted for aiding and abetting abortion. We're hearing people who have arthritis, people who have lupus, uh, not being able to get their treatments, doctors afraid to treat them. We're hearing of people who are going into emergency rooms with ectopic pregnancies, with um, pregnant, maybe they took abortion pills, but didn't read the directions properly. So they need some assistance in completing the abortion. Um, Doctors not wanting to provide that safe care for people because they're afraid. And, you know, we don't want people in emergency rooms. We don't want people, um, we want people to be having abortions at their doctor's offices or through LPNs or physician's assistants. You know, there's so many ways that it should be happening. And the consequences are chilling because people don't want to provide. We're also hearing that um, people in states where they have good abortion care uh, are afraid to provide abortions for folks coming from hostile states because they're afraid if, let's say, with medication abortion, if you don't know how medication abortion works, it's a it's a two-pronged procedure where you take one pill, then you wait 24 to 48 hours later and you take a series of four pills. And then it takes about 48 hours to actually have the miscarriage occur. Um, there are states that be, that are afraid that if they if someone takes the first pill in their state that has legal abortion, and then they go home to their state that doesn't have legal abortion, that the person having the abortion and the person who provided the pills could be prosecuted. So it's a real mess, Allie. I just said a lot of things to you. Well, Liz, I think like it's so important to talk about the the criminalization of abortion and the criminalization of medical support for people who are miscarrying. I hadn't actually heard as much about folks being denied access to, you know, their their bipolar medication, their arthritis medication, um, anything that may compromise a pregnancy. Uh, I think I think that's that is incredibly scary. Um, but I think what you what you talked to talked about, you know, right at the beginning of what you were saying is something I really want to kind of examine because I've thought about this a lot. Like, do we now look at anybody who's having a miscarriage, which is an incredibly private, incredibly like heartbreaking experience? Do we now um, look at those people as as if they have to have some sort of criminal investigation to make sure it wasn't their fault. Um, well, yeah, I mean, in some places, yeah, you know, and it's 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 up to the is the medical provider going to wonder if the person is spontaneously miscarrying or is having an abortion through medication, um, according to the. Uh, World Health Organization website on abortion pills. I have to preface by saying that. Um, If you take medication abortion, it is not present in your system. Therefore, uh, you don't have to tell a medical provider if you've taken abortion pills or, you know, if you just miscarry, no one can detect whether or not it is spontaneous or if it is with abortion pills, according to the World Health Organization. So, you know, but if you tell a doctor or a person in an emergency room in a state that is, it doesn't have legal abortion, um, you know, will that medical professional want to report you? You know, are they thinking it's their duty to do so? So we are putting people in some really harmful situations that make me feel really Um, afraid for our humanity. And, you know, the thing about all of this is this is all by design. It's so confusing. Well, I think that's that's a really complicated thing to say because what I have heard for years is that this is about saving babies. But there seems to be this new aspect where this is about incarcerating people who can give birth and don't want to or people who can give birth and have medically complex pregnancies that result in miscarriage. This is about incarcerating medical providers. Um, so we're, we're, how did we get from this is about saving babies to this is about arresting people who don't want to have babies or have miscarriages or, you know, support somebody in, in getting uh, an abortion? Where did that shift happen? I think the misnomer is that it was a shift. And I have to tell you, Allie, in my advocacy of 30 some years, 
And I watched them getting people elected. I watched the rhetoric. Our hair has been on fire for 30 years telling people this isn't about saving babies. If it was about saving babies, you would have comprehensive sex education. You wouldn't deny SNAP and WIC and you would expand Medicaid. You know, there's an article today, or I'm sorry, yesterday, that came out in the Washington Post about these, the four of the top states who have the most harshest abortion restrictions or banned it outright, have denied Medicaid applications 70% of the time. In Texas, if you're a person who makes $188 a month, you're denied Medicare. Mm. And they're funding these massive fake clinics to convince people to have these babies they can't afford, you know, and, um, and meanwhile, not providing any resources. Because the truth be told in all of this uh, is if we valued pregnancy outcomes, if we were a nation that valued all pregnancy outcomes, a 16-year-old who was pregnant, whose values said, you know what, I want to, I want to, I do want to have this child and I want to raise this child and I want to parent this child, we would have resources in place. We would have safe schools. We would have safe streets. We would have environmental justice. We would create healthy environments and help every child have a fighting chance on this planet. But the fact that none of that is happening says to me, it's never been about saving the babies and why we allowed that narrative along with all of the rest of their narrative be how those of us who are actually pro-abortion, pro-child, pro-family people, um, we would have been listened to. And instead we weren't. Instead we weren't. I just watched a, a documentary on Hulu that was really about, uh, you know, it's called Aftershock. I highly recommend it. But it was about the infant mortality rate and the maternal mortality rate in America among black women. Um, and it was it's a really interesting documentary to watch um, after Roe v. Wade is overturned because it really highlights exactly what you just talked about, Liz, which is, you know, we say we want people to have babies, but we don't have any of the supports um, that folks need to, to, to have kids and to be healthy. And, you know, we have one of the worst infant mortality rates and maternal mortality rates in the world. Um, and so that that leap from, you know, we're, we're not going to provide you with health care. We're not going to make sure your kid has a decent education. We're not going to send your kid to college. We, we don't want to invest in children or families or moms in any significant way. Um, but we expect that folks will have you know, will carry pregnancies to term and give birth uh, no matter what the consequences are for for their bodies and, and no matter their actual ability to provide care uh, to an infant and a, and a child. What what do you think, you know, even if we were a, a society that provided child care, that provided health care, that really um, wrapped as much support around moms, around parents as possible, I would still believe um, in every person's right to self-determination in terms of abortion, in terms of knowing when it's right for you to have a kid. However, in the absence of those supports, this this feels cruel in, in uh, a pretty incredible way. You've been doing a lot of work addressing kind of the other side, um, you know, talking to people who do not agree with you about abortion. You were recently in Texas. Will you tell the folks who are listening to WORT 89.9 FM what that's been like? So we were just in um, Nashville, Tennessee, for Operation Save America's annual conference. If you don't know who Operation Save America is, there's sort of the growth and offshoot of Operation Rescue, a violent anti-abortion outfit that came to us in the early 1990s. Uh, they are, they, their larger overview doctrine is that it, it is, you must obey the laws of God over mm. the laws of man, which, um, and they profess that and they believe that and they preach that, um, which gives them permission to, um, 
harm abortion providers, um, create laws that harm people having abortions. Uh, they often protest outside of mosques, burning Qurans. They are virulently um, anti-LGBTQ. They will, um, and they're getting people elected. And just Wisconsin, so you know, their president right now and his mentor, father-in-law, live outside of Milwaukee. They are in Wisconsin. And so you are not exempt, and as you know, because of what's happening with your laws, but um, you know, leadership from one of the most hateful uh, Christian extremist organizations are there. So we went down to Nashville um, where they are preaching in the streets with those massively um, horrifying signs where they are going to clinics in Tennessee and torturing parents, I mean, torturing patients, torturing the staff. They invaded um, clinics twice. And the good news is because of the work that we do, uh, some of the stuff that we do at Abortion Access Front is we track anti-abortion extremism on the ground. We capture video and we, um, and we follow their sermons and we sort of follow their training meetings. And we did that this time. And along with the National Abortion Federation and some other organizations, all of our information that we gathered, we got a restraining order against their entire organization. So they couldn't disrupt those clinics and they could be facing federal violations for um, invading the clinics. So we feel really good about that. But for years, they had no one confronted them. For years, their message was just left to stand. And we were told by respectability wing of this movement, don't confront them, don't talk to them, treat them like fringe outliers. Well, they are now the mainstream. Mm. They're getting people elected in state houses. They're out there. And they, if one narrative stands, that is the narrative. And that can't be. People need to know just how profoundly dangerous terrifying, racist, misogynistic, homophobic, transphobic, these people are. And unless we elevate and bring that to light and show people that they have influence, they are using this, this blanket of Christianity as a cover for their hatred. If you are a Christian person listening and you think that this behavior is unacceptable, uh, it's on you to bring your good Christianity to to tamp down that language, just like we have to be anti-racist. You also have to be anti-extremist and come forward and be the people that denounces them when they do it, because they're creating this mess. White Christian nationalists have created this environment we are in. I, I feel so nervous about you, Liz Winstead, going to these spaces. And I know you said before we got on the air, like, this is your duty as like a white anti-racist person to confront these folks. And you can do it with a lot more safety than myself could or people of color can. Um, but I don't think I've ever seen you in a shirt that does not say abortion on it. I think, I'm like, I don't I don't even know what you wear to these events. Um, I wear this. You know, so so yeah. how how do people react to you in these spaces? And are you ever worried um, that the environment could be violent, that it could be hostile? Do people attack you? Um, you know, what, what, what do you do to kind of keep yourself safe um, so that you can keep doing this work? I mean, for anybody who is doing this work, um, I have my, all of my digital life unlock online. Uh, you know, you do things like using browsers that are like DuckDuckGo, um, you know, making sure that you have delete me and you've deleted your presence online. So um, I've done all that. Um, we have security protocols in place when we go out. It's not just a free for all. You have a buddy, um, you pay attention to escalation. Um, you know, as I told you, for example, the leader of Operation Save America, who's from Wisconsin, was also somebody who was leading fundraising efforts for Kyle Rittenhouse, was in Kenosha. Hmm. marauding the streets, protecting the businesses. Um, so, you know, you look to see, they're almost always armed. And I know that. And 
Um, so are, are you armed? Oh God, no. Mm-mm. I, you know, me being armed, I'm there. And you know, I don't, I, our planet's melting, you know, like I feel like, and not to sound flip about anything. Cause I'm not flip about it. I'm, I'm very diligent in how I go about and react and talk to these people. And I know I can, I watch for escalation. I am, um, I'm a, I'm holding signs that have a different message than they have. Um, I don't try to pick fights. I, I don't try to do any of that. If they talk to me or come up to me, I'll have a conversation until I'm done. And then I'm done. And then I walk away because the truth be told is I simply want to be another voice and an, and another way and, and someone who exposes these people. My, I, I guess if I have plans in place to keep me safe, but you never know if you're safe anywhere. You can walk into any place and something can happen to you. But I just, for me, knowing how much harm they do in the greater scope to people I love, to, you know, folks who are, have been marginalized by this nation since the beginning of this nation. Um, I'm not particularly worried about myself. I know, you know, I'm just, I mean, I take precautions. I do what I do. I pay attention. I back off when it feels um, violent. Um, but I'm not going to let them invade a clinic and let that stand. You know, I'm not going to let them scream at people going to have abortions and let that go unchecked. I'm not going to allow somebody, if I have the ability to help someone's experience getting care or providing care, um, if I can reinvent the dignity around that and help reimagine that back into there, I'm going to do that. And if that means, you know, a bunch of bullies who are armed, first of all, why are you armed if you're pro-life, whatever. Um, but also you develop a sense of, I often say to people, and I'll say it in the, in the clean radio way, um, if you're not feeding me, employing me, or having sex with me, your opinion is at the bottom of the ladder of things I am going to prioritize. So um, these people provide no support for me or anyone. And also, I've seen what they stand for. So why should I stand for it? Yeah, <laughs> and I don't. Oh, if you are listening and you want to join this conversation with a question or comment, give us a call at 608-256-2001 and Rochelle will patch you through to the show. Um, we'd love to hear from you. Uh, there's there's a lot to talk about. And Liz, you have, you know, you have such a, a long career in advocacy and comedy in standing up for women, for people of color, for, you know, communities that have historically been marginalized um, and had their voices silenced. As as you're doing this work right now, one of the things that, you know, happened kind of immediately for me as a person in Wisconsin, you know, as you know, I'm posting on social media and I'm talking with friends and I, I'm the mother of of three people with uteruses um, and, you know, friends started to kind of try to create like networks to help people get out of states like Wisconsin um, where you cannot get an abortion, where you can't have access to a safe and legal abortion anymore or where abortion is criminalized and get to a state like Minnesota or state like Illinois. And then very quickly, um, there was this, you know, buzz about people who are pregnant 
having their travel monitored um, and having, you know, having not being allowed to travel to certain places, um, you know, started I started to think about, like, what does it look like if a person gets a, a pregnancy test and is told, like, well, in order to buy this test, you have to register the results of the test. Um, this incredible invasion of privacy, this incredible level of restriction that would go into a for enforcing bans on abortion, enforcing the criminalization of abortion. How how have you responded to, to some of those things? Because I have to be honest, I didn't see that aspect of this coming. I didn't see um, the, the kind of surveillance culture um, that we have, you know, really becoming about monitoring uh, the bodies of, of people who can who can, you know, become pregnant. Yeah, I mean, I think that um, it's you know, there's been a lot of hype on the period trackers and all of that. And I do think you want to be safe on all those things because I do think the monitoring is real. The very strong monitoring is happening is at the um, these things called crisis pregnancy centers, which are um, if you if your listeners don't know about them, um, Catholics and extreme Christians have opened up these fake, for lack of a better way of putting it, they are fake clinics that advertise and look like they may help you with decisions around abortion, um, help you do that. But really, they're just shills for shaming. And if you go in there, you have an unlicensed medical, an unlicensed person in a lab coat giving you an ultrasound, giving you a pregnancy test, oftentimes being deceptive on how far along you are, trying to talk you out of your abortion. That is their whole plan. They don't have resources for you. Very, very, very few of them, 99% of them don't have, they don't provide medical care. They're not giving you pap smears, wellness visits, baby checks, none of that. They're just simply giving you literature and telling you not to have your baby. That's basically what they do. So when you sign up with them, they're taking down a lot of your information and putting it into databases. Um, there's a clinic, for example, a lot of times they open up right next door to a clinic and will call themselves something that's very similar to the name of the clinic. So if the real clinic was called, let's say, the Midwest um, Center for Abortion, um, they would call themselves the Midwest Women's Center, right? So you get confused. Um, in Minnesota, there's a clinic where one is right next door. And when you are in the waiting room at the real clinic, the Wi-Fi stronger at the fake clinic. So when you try to get on the Wi-Fi, the Wi-Fi, the first Wi-Fi that comes up says, don't kill your baby. That's the name of the network. Um, so there's a lot of just like, and, and you get mixed up. So you go there first or they'll stand in the parking lot and say, come here to get your, you have to check in here and then you'll go over there and then they will get you in there. And sometimes they will take your purse and put you in a, um, a, a hospital gown. And um, and then not give you your clothes back until you um, sign off. A lot of them will say you have to sign this fake paper that looks like a legal document that's that you pledge to not abort your pregnancy. And then they fax it to all of the clinics within a like 100 mile radius. And then the clinics are getting these things and they're like, what is this? And then the person who is vulnerable and pregnant said, oh, I guess I can't have an abortion not because I signed this fake piece of paper. So data and those kind of collection things are very real. I think how, I would how say can it, you do that legally to somebody? How can you? Oh, so I'll tell you why. And like, this is what's going to make insane. the blood boil. Are you ready for yes. the blood boiling? Yes. So <laughs> went before the Supreme Court in 2016, I think, um, a case going against them saying, how can you do this? And the majority court said, if you are not a licensed medical facility, which which is why 99.9% .9 of them are not, it is basically okay to cosplay being a medical professional if you are not giving medical care. So giving somebody a pregnancy test you could buy at the dollar store is not giving medical care. Anybody can run an ultrasound machine, which is something everybody needs to know, any person Rando in the really? world can run jelly and do an ultrasound. Yes, if it, if it's a transvaginal ultrasound, no. Okay, but these are exterior 
ultrasound machines. So if it's a, it's you know an abdominal yeah. ultrasound, you do not have to be a, a technician. You don't have to be a radiologist. You can just nope. kind of be a lady who has yes. that machine or some dude who's got yes. that machine, and you can perform ultrasounds. And just so you know, in many of these fake clinics, um, the Knights of Columbus have spent over $40 million outfitting Catholic fake clinics. You can look this up. If you just said Knights of Columbus, ultrasound machines, fake clinic, you probably write in um, um, pregnancy, I don't know what they call themselves. I don't know, whatever, yeah. So they are fundraising and getting these ultrasound machines. In Pittsburgh, when we were there a few years back, the. I think the Archbishop of the Diocese of Pittsburgh came and put holy water on the ultrasound machine at the clinic to christen the machine to save the babies. Um, so this stuff is real. So what I want to say to folks is if you're a lot of times it's your impulse. We have been so silent talking about abortion. You know, we've been siloed, we've been sort of quiet, we've been acquiescing. And so a lot of people, are, their instinct is, how do I drive somebody to get their abortion? How do I, you can stay on my couch. Like, let me be that person. And what I want to tell folks listening now is that there's great organizations that already do that. The Midwest Access Coalition is a great organization um, within the Midwest, out of Chicago. Um, what you, What we don't think about in our incredible goodness and kindness and wanting to help people is a lot of times what that means for the patient. So people who are trained at doing this, it's very important to promote them rather to start your own network because things to think about are if you're a vulnerable person looking for an abortion, you're already forced to tell strangers you need help. You know, you don't want to be another stranger that somebody has to tell their story to. Um, if you're providing your home to someone, they're going to maybe feel obligated to talk to you. Um, it prevents them oftentimes from bringing the companion that they might want. So raising money for practical support funds so that somebody can have the dignified experience we all claim we want from people, right? If we're saying we are fighting for bodily autonomy, then all of, volunteer for one of the organizations that already exists. Get trained up there because we want people to have the abortion experience they deserve, which is one that's on their own terms. And we'd love to be able to help create that. So I understand the initial instinct of come stay with me. But when you all of a sudden put yourself in the, in the patient's experience, gosh, I would like to bring my partner or somebody gosh, I'm a trans person. Do I feel comfortable in a stranger's house? I'm a person of color. And do I feel safe? Have I had safe experiences staying in a stranger's house if they are a white person, right? And so we need to be considerate of well, and everybody's experiences. It's also, if, if you're talking about people who are willing to pretend to be clinics, I think when we get into like creating safe houses, how easy is it for somebody to infiltrate that network and pretend that their home is safe? Right. I, mm -hmm. I think about myself. I'm a person who had an abortion um, as a 16 year old. I actually went to court, found out I was pregnant and I went to court um, in order to get permission um, legally to have an abortion without asking my parents, which delayed the process. Um so I was pregnant. And it's shameful. I, I was pregnant longer. I was sick longer. Um, but I went to court and I had this amazing woman judge and this amazing woman attorney who were so compassionate and so kind to me. And I would have never known how to do that if it wasn't for a room of one's own bookstore. Um, because I'm mm -hmm. old enough that I didn't get to type into Google, like, how do I get an abortion without asking my parents? Um, I, I went to a room of one's bookstore and at the time they had all of the numbers um, that you need to get an abortion to get support around reproductive rights on the back of their bookmark. That's huge, incredible. Huge shout out to a room of one's huge own. Huge shout out to them. And that brings me to, um, we just launched an incredible program that I'm really excited about called Operation Save Abortion. Uh, we did a national training day 
on July 17th, where we flew in activists from around the country to have all these different conversations around different ways you could advocate for abortion. And then in between each conversation, people were gathered watching in house parties around the country, and they did toolkits and activities to help them deepen their knowledge. And, and um, all of those are online now with the toolkits. I highly recommend that you make a commitment with your friends to say once a week, every other week, choose one of these videos, do the toolkit information. If you go to operationsaveabortion.com, it's all right there. You can take, take the video, watch it with your friends, do the stuff in the toolkit. And at the end of the session, we screen everyone because if you are an abortion advocate, you have to be screened. We have to know you're real for these very reasons that mm -hmm. imposters happen and people are out there to do harm. And then we are hooking people up locally with the folks around where they live. Um, you can go to the, and we have a big activist calendar up now that is national things. Like you, like you can attend a, um, a webinar on self-managed abortion. What does that mean if I'm home and I have pills? What does that look like? Um, you can attend a webinar on how to be safe in an action. We, we, we have those kind of things. Um, and then you can pull it down to um, statewide and what's around regionally for you. And then if you want to do something, you can add that to the, we'll vet the event and we can add that to the activist calendar. So it's a way to get people started, to get them to form community and to get them to join the already existing communities. We had 10,000 people watch on that day, which is unheard of. Um, and it was really exciting. So that's that's something if you're like, what can I do? You know, gather your friends, create. If you gather your friends and have a watch party, you already are an organizer, right? Mm. And then take those steps from there. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to A Public Affair on WORT 89.9 FM. My name is Ali Maldro, and today we're talking to comedian Liv Winstead who is, about her work advocating for abortion at, at Abortion Access. Uh, Liz Winstead is a comedian, co-creator of The Daily Show, the founder of Abortion Access Front. She hosts a new talk show called Feminist Buzzkill. She is out there doing the work, y'all. We are so grateful to have her on the show today. We just had somebody call in and say that they're so grateful for this conversation um, oh, and, and ask, you know, how they can listen to it later. So if you want to listen to the archive, all you have to do is go to wortfm.org um, and you will you will find the archive of this show um but thank you so much for calling thank you so much for listening and if you want to join the conversation or just give us really nice encouraging comments like that one the number is 608-256-2001 liz i have to ask what got you into abortion um, what was what was your point of entry? What made you passionate about this? Why have you given, you know, this, you know, time in your life to abortion and been doing this work for so long? Your birthday is coming up. Um, you know, you are I mean, you are a, a, an older woman. Right. So you don't necessarily have to worry about getting pregnant at this point in your life. But that um, doesn't matter. You know, like I don't have to worry about a lot of things, but that doesn't you know, it's like. You know, I think that's the biggest misnomer that happens. And one of my sources of frustration is when I listen to people who say, well, it's not my fight anymore, or I can't believe we're still fighting this. And it's like, A, if you got to have an abortion and now other people can't, it's your fight. Absolutely. B, patriarchy doesn't take a holiday. They're not like going on break, right? It's 24 seven, <laughs> 65. So it's always your fight, right? So for me, what got me into it is I'm, I like you, I got pregnant the first time I ever had sex. I went through a horrible situation, ended up at one of these fake clinics we were talking about. No. Shamed and tortured, told that my options were mommy or murder. Um, you know, got to have my abortion and I've had abortions since I was six, after 16, I've had multiple abortions um, because I never wanted kids, right? So my option of being able to have fulfillment and do this work was important to me, but also because it was never incorporated into the landscape of progressive politics. Let me mm. be clear. It is our side who did not prioritize this. Oh, it is Liz, I love progressive you. who have not. And now that we are in this space 
and I have watched the media um, for the past, you know, four months as the inevitable fall of Roe and then the fall of Roe. I have watched the conversation in national media be so off, giving wrong advice, get, get, saying wrong language because they are not well-versed in speaking of it, that now more than ever, um, it's important. So for me, it's not allowing people to erase reproductive health rights and justice and bodily autonomy as though it's a wedge issue um, to help folks and people who can't get pregnant um, prioritize this as a as an issue of our own humanity because this is all interlinked. Who you love, how you live your life, uh, how you control your own contraception, you know, in your own, you know, fertility, all of that is is on the line right now, right? And so I want to tell your listeners too that if you're like, I wish that that I could just keep up with what's happening. Our podcast, you mentioned it, Feminist Buzzkills Live. It's a podcast. You can get it anywhere. It's hilarious, y'all. We do um, we do all the news of the week. We have the expert guests, the providers, the activists on the ground, the legal minds. We're interviewing everybody who is working in this fight, and we're giving you calls to action. So it drops every Friday, Feminist Buzzkills Live. Like It gives you some context and hope, and it's also funny, and we drag creeps for filth. Like It's good. Um, but you also can stay on top of things because things are moving so incredibly fast right now that um, the fact that I'm not wearing a neck brace is actually shocking. Like yesterday in Michigan, there was some trash ass law where they said, oh, even though we have um, a temporary hold on this crappy Michigan, they have a 1931 law. I know y'all go back to the 1800s. They have a 1931 law in the books. That's terrible. And they got a temporary hold on yeah, it. Yeah, like our, then, our our law in Wisconsin happened while slavery was still legal. I just, I think it's important to say that. I'm like, I think it's important to understand we are now being governed by by people. Um, yeah, I, I'm like, it's just, it's incredible. So in 1931, Michigan 1931, said a law no, that no abortion. Criminalizing, saying any, any doctor in the way they phrase it in the law that um, assists a miscarriage. Mm. which basically that's what abortion is you're assisting a miscarriage Mm -hmm. um can it has a has a criminal penalties right so some whack-ass prosecutors were like the state county law it doesn't cover county law county law trumps state law who's ever heard of that um and then a judge was like yep it's true so yesterday in michigan there was clinics who were transporting patients from one county to another to try to get them care, by the end of the day, that crazy idea had a restraining got a restraining order against it, and they're going to hear from the Michigan Supreme Court on Wednesday. Um, they have a ballot initiative going on um, in Michigan um, in November uh, that's that's going to codify abortion into their state constitution that's the plan hopefully that people will vote for that they had an overwhelming number of people sign on to get it onto the ballot so they're verifying the um signatures to see if they have enough legitimate ballots but like that just happened all in one day right Mm. so these things are happening all the time and it's constant and to keep up and to know where to hang your hat i think is key i think people feel hopeless i think people have never been honored by given the opportunity to hear about all the different things that they could do and then do a self-examination to say, what is actually my capacity? You know, and if you have little capacity, either little financial capacity or physical capacity or time capacity, we can find something for you to do where you're not stressed, you're making an impact. You don't have to be me by any stretch, but you do have to be because we can't say we have people's backs if we don't make a tiny bit of effort to do so. And if that's one phone call a week or a postcard to a clinic supporting them, um, because not only do we have to work legislatively, this is the thing about abortion that's so we often forget is people need care every day. So while we're trying to get this long-term goal to reclaim our rights again and codify them, we have to get people dignified care every day 
I think that's such an important thing to say. And I think, you know, the idea that you can wait until November to have your abortion. I'm like, no, you can't. No, that's not that's not how this works. Right. Mm -hmm. Like folks find themselves in moments of really making really intentional decisions about their own health, their own body, their own families um, and and need to be able to do that, you know, uh, quickly need to be able yes. to do that in the in the time frame that makes sense for them. Um, and so I am I'm curious, you know, I, I've heard so much uh, of Democrats kind of trying to use this as a way to get people to vote. Now, don't get me wrong. Um, I, I love voting. I can't wait to vote. I'm actually going to vote early after this show at the public library. Um, you, you know, I'm not I'm, I'm not going to talk about it more because I think I'd get in trouble for endorsing on the air or something. I don't want to make, you know, anybody's job at WRT. You're just so excited to exercise your freedom. Yeah. I, I mean, I love voting. I hope that you're getting out there and voting. Um, and at the same time, I think like, you know, we're we're living in, in a country right now where voter suppression is rampant. Um, so it's not easy to vote all over this country. Um, it's becoming more and more challenging, more and more difficult, more and more barriers um, are, are stopping people from accessing their right to vote. And I'm like, the, you know, the idea that... <laughs> The idea that you are going to wait until November to 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 vote and that that is, you know, how you're going to um, assert your your right to bodily autonomy really bothers me. Liz, how do you kind of hold space for? Yes, we need people to get out to vote and be politically engaged. And also um, we, we, we need abortion access and bodily autonomy no matter what voter turnout looks like right like no matter who's yeah. in office like how do we hold space for both of those conversations or how do you hold space for both of those conversations how i hold space and, and what i often say to people is um your vote will not matter unless you set priorities for who you want to vote for and demand those priorities so um and, and if, if it's, whether it's, whatever your issue is, right? There's a humanity around that always. And so how are you dealing with the humanity, uh, whether it's immigration, whether it is police violence, whether it is abortion, whether it is, um, you know, the environment, whatever your jam is, how you are you helping take the load of those experiencing that and then how are you trying to influence and get the right people elected who are going to care? Because just being a Democrat isn't it. it. You know, for me on abortion, that has not served me well at all because people haven't talked about it. So it's like I want to be able to have all of us talking to politicians. I want politicians. I want to hold them accountable to even have a meeting with people who've had abortions talk to them about their experiences, learn so that you can also tell constituents why you will prioritize it so that people can sometimes hear for the first time the humanity around an issue. Because if people aren't gonna be expanding access to care, it's we're just gonna be in the same place and be disappointed. So we have an obligation to um, let folks know um, educate our own friends and people around us as to why we're passionate about this and um, and and hold our elected officials accountable to care about us. Liz, are there things that you're that you think like what what comes next? Because part of what I thought about is when progressives, when we achieve something, we start to like kind of chill. We're like, all right, we elected a black person. We can kind of sit these next couple elections out. We're going to chill. We've you know, marriage equality was accomplished. We don't have to donate as much to LB LGBTQ organizations. We're going to chill. Um, it are are the is the religious right are the folks who are pro life are they kind of taking a break and a breather right now and going hey we don't need to run people we don't need to do this work anymore because we won they've never taken a break it's like i said they don't patriarchy doesn't take a holiday they go to church every sunday and then they convert they hear from their religious people you know their pastor whoever um they hear messaging there they organize afterwards they are always organizing this doesn't stop at 
abortion. Obviously, they've said contraception's on the table, uh, you know, marriage uh, that is marriage equality is on the table, interracial marriage is on the table. Um, it is all of our fight constantly and you don't get to vote and done. Voting is one of the things you do, uh, constantly figuring out how you make your community better and then voting for people who will access that set of goals is also part of the work. It's part of the work. Liz Winstead, this is my last question for you and you've got about a minute to answer it, but I've got to ask, we have won this fight before. We have had this fight before over the right to choose the right to have an abortion um, and and we have, have won before. Do you feel, does that reassure you um, that we have what it takes to win this fight again? We, white people won this fight before. You know, since Roe had happened, people of color and vulnerable people didn't have access to abortion, really, because of the way this fight was, quote unquote, won. It wasn't won on um, civil rights. It was won on privacy. So now we, the work we have to do now, I think people do understand that they need to participate. And now when we go back and try to win this fight again, we have to figure out, we have to take the leadership from those who are most marginalized, and we have to win this fight for everybody. Mm. And that means taking advice and leadership from BIPOC folks, queer folks, because they're the ones who are always the most marginalized. And if those boats rise, we all rise. Mm. Liz Winstead, I am so inspired for you by you. So, so grateful for your work, for your leadership, for your activism, for your comedy. I know that you wanted folks to know that you will be performing nearby. So the folks in Wisconsin who are a little a little north and a little west. Liz, where are you going to be this fall? I will be in Duluth, Minnesota at the West Theater on September 15th. You can go to Bands in Town, Liz Winstead, or just go to the West Theater and you can see it. Ali, it's so great to talk to you always. Oh, thank you so much. Thanks, everybody who listened to WRT 89.9 FM Madison. Huge shout out to Shali, Rochelle, and Rory. We'll see y'all next week. Six foot six above sea level. I grab the mic because I like to take you to another mental level. Low power frequency radio modulation. The big sound from underground, another pirate station. We bring the truth to places.